1: The podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk '80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and this is Totally '80s. You want fame? Well, fame costs, and this is where you start paying. In sweat. in sweat. Very good. Uh, today, we're going to cut loose, as in Footloose, Xanadu, Fame, of course, and even The Apple. Yes, we are talking about movie musicals of the 80s. We're also going to talk about the important role that music played in other movies, like... Uh, I just got to say, I'm here with John Hughes. Hey! Not that John Hughes, but still, (laughs) of course, we have to talk about Pretty in Pink, The Breakfast Club, some kind of wonderful, all the movies by the other John Hughes. So here we go. Um, So we're just going to talk about The Apple for the next hour. We decided that? Yes, I think so. The greatest movie musical of all time, or at least of the 80s. It came right in at the start of the 80s and uh, 1980. I believe it was made in 1979. And um, the thing that I think is funny about it is it was made in 1979. It came out in 1980, but it was supposed to envision a future of 1994, Ooh, a yes. future where Nirvana and Weezer did not exist, where people were in flying cars and there was uh, this group called, from Moose Jaw. Why don't we start? Why don't you?
0: <laughs> I know you're a big Apple Moose fan. Moose Jaw. First of all, the Apple. So yeah, let's set the scene. The Apple was a picture muse- this. Yeah, picture this. this uh, Moose Jaw, 1994. The <laughs> uh, Apple was made as I don't know. Is conceived as a ripoff of another movie that was coming, Xanadu. Xanadu. Right. And it was. Which we will talk about. Oh, yeah. But the Apple's a. Uh, if you haven't seen the Apple, please don't rent it. Don't <clears throat> stream it. Go buy it. I own it. <laughs> I own it in three formats. It's the most ill conceived, poorly realized vision that is perfect in every way. Almost like Showgirls, which is my other favorite movie of all time. I have several favorite movies of all time. Uh, Why doesn't this surprise me, John? I know, right? such a cliche. But the Apple is amazing because it's like every possible choice that they made was wrong. I
1: feel like we're (laughs) stumped. Like, for the first time maybe in the history of us doing this podcast, we're like, ah,
0: how do we display?
1: We can't. Okay, basically it takes place in a sort of Eurovision style contest. The
0: world Is about competition, Mm -hmm. and the only way they resolve wars and conflicts is through a Eurovision-style competition. Which
1: is actually the future I want. (laughs) Right. I think the world would be a more peaceful place if people settled their disputes, not in Facebook wars, not Mm -hmm. in actual wars, but in disco talent shows. Yes. That would work. So um, something that I think you know about me is I love all the reality shows that exist now. Right and American Idol is one of them and the producer of American Idol for many years was Nigel Lithgow and he also created and executive produce and judges the show So You Think You Can Dance and he also does a lot of things in the dance world and he has this mm-hmm. national holiday that he created called National Dance Day it's recognized by the U.S. government that is supposed to promote fitness through dance in America and they have events all over the country okay. so anyway I've interviewed Nigel Lithgow a couple times about the Apple because he choreographed the Apple it's his only cinematic credit I I guess he decided after that he was done, going to move to TV because <laughs> you know he had a. Uh, he's I think totally, a lot
0: of people decided they were done after <laughs> they finished the Apple. He,
1: to <laughs> his credit, he had a pretty good career afterwards, sure. which I don't know if he thought was going to be the case. He does defend the music; he will not mm-hmm. defend the film. I did. I've interviewed him twice about the Apple, and he always just looks at me like. Why do you want to talk about this? <laughs> of all the things I've done in my career, why do you? He's worked with the Muppets, he's worked on American Idol, but I want to talk to him about the Apple. He was a young guy that he told me that this was filmed in Germany yeah. and that everybody was on like speed, basically, hence the, the song the Speed. speed. The... Does it have more than one E in it, more than two E's in it?
0: No, no, but I just, that,
1: in my I'm in my mind, I think it's speed with like four E's. The land of the free is shooting up with cur- she has to take more
0: Speed America, the home of the brave Is popping pills to keep up the pace And every day she cries out for more Speed Just the lyrics are hysterical. Uh, America runs on speed. We've got to give me more speed. And the the dance sequence, thanks, Nigel, mm-hmm. looks like everybody is on, I don't know, several strains of meth. He said
1: it was filmed in a in a old like gas mask factory in Germany, (laughs) which is on brand, I think, for it. Uh, But he's right. The the choreography was good. Mm. The costumes were good. The
0: music was good. Do you have a soundtrack? I do on vinyl. No, thanks for
1: one upping me, making me look. Of course, it is it. Do you have it? Like, did it get reissued?
0: No, no. I found it. I I found it on eBay. Yeah, we should (laughs) do super deluxe edition of anniversary's next. It's
1: It's turning uh, uh, forty next uh, next year. So, but as I mentioned, the Nigel Lithgow connection. I think it's important that this movie. Is about people who go in what? A talent competition mm-hmm. that the public votes for and then their lives are changed. And then also there's this the whole like mandatory exercise thing with the BIM where yes. you have to do this, everyone stops and has to do like a dance sequence.
0: Right. <laughs> Including surgeons in the middle of surgery, mm-hmm. which Priorities. is, you know, poor guy.
1: So. What I'm trying to say is, although Nigel Lithgow won't admit it to me, maybe the Apple did not predict nineteen ninety-four so well, but it predicted American Idol and -hmm. it predicted National Dance Day. And so you think you could dance. Tell me I'm wrong.
0: I can't. I think that's (laughs) actually a really good point. And the survivors of the Apple. (laughs) Nigel Lithgow. And Fiona Hughes. Fiona Hughes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Mary Catherine Stewart. What else did she do? She did, she did I'm a confusing couple her things. with the one from uh, Some Kind of Wonderful. She did, she did Night of the Comet. Was that her? Well, I think that was right. her as well. She gets, she has a couple things. I, I think. think
1: Nigel came out on top it, here.
0: For sure. But, because
1: his choreography yeah. wasn't bad. It was, you know, very much of its time. Right. But I did ask him when I interviewed him the first time for the Apple. I said to, and I'm, by the way, I'm the only person he's ever talked to about it because I think he just knows I'm coming from a place of, <laughs> well, I am making fun of it, but I'm coming from a place of love. <laughs> I'm on his side. I'm telling you. And I did say to him, what did you learn? from making this movie and like what not to do because as you mentioned John like every decision they made was wrong right. and he basically said maybe have the script written before you start filming the movie because <laughs> there's an ending on it that's completely tacked on where everyone's oh. like how do we film I sorry to spoil it for you <laughs> those who haven't watched it which is like most of you uh, but it's like how do we wrap a bow on this let's have Mr. Tops come in who's
0: God basically let's
1: have God come in and fix it at the it's in the last li- two minutes of it's the film Literally,
0: it's literally <laughs> A Deus, Deus, uh, a MCM. I'm going to screw this up. What is the Latin again? Deus machina Sure. <laughs> yes. Sure. Uh, and they all, if I remember correctly, which I do because I've watched this a billion times, they get in a solid gold Cadillac and ride off to heaven.
1: It's an allegory. It's kind of similar to the end of Greece. Greece.
0: They all go <laughs> to have, which you know, you know the rumor. Since we're talking movie musicals about the end of Greece.
1: Well, this is 70s, but yes, so sure. Sandy was dead the whole time. Right. And then... Maybe everyone in the Apple was dead the entire <laughs> time. And then at the end, they all just go to heaven in their, in their uh, DeLorean or whatever kind of car it was. One thing that I think is funny is Nigel Lithgow told me, he was a young guy when, he, when they were making this film in 1979, that he had this vision. He really believed in it. He didn't necessarily believe in the movie itself. He could see things were going wrong, the fact that they didn't have a completed script. <laughs> they didn't have much of a budget. But he did believe in the music, and I do think he was right there. And he also thought his choreography was good, and I think he was right there. And he had aspirations that he was actually going to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Choreography. You know what the problem is there? What? No such category exists. Uh. There was no no choreography for Oscars. There are for like Emmys and some other awards. So yeah, but you know, I'm not quite sure if if there had been such a category, if the movie would have been recognized. But I do want to say it's interesting. We're talking a lot about the Apple, but you also mentioned Xanadu. Yes. There were a slew of movies that came out right at the cusp of the 70s and 80s, which was such an interesting time. Can't stop the music by the village people. Mm -hmm. Xanadu, the Apple, where... It's like people didn't realize that things were changing yet. Like they're disco. They're basically disco movies. Oh, for sure. But by the time they were hitting the theaters, I assume these movies were made when it was like 79, like the Apple was. But by the time they were hitting the theater, like shit was already changing. Right. And these movies felt dated on release day. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know? And it's weird. weird. They were all reaction, I think, to Greece. the success of Greece. And because that was the first successful movie musical in, I don't know, want to say decades, but mm-hmm. close. A long time. A yeah, long time. And uh, so they didn't take their cue correctly from Greece, which was find something that while it may be dated in, in the past, the 50s is still universally loved. It was we're going to be current and this is going to be now. And by the time it hits screens, it's like now is uh, no longer uh flared white pants and things disco ex- balls.
1: Things change at a really accelerated rate because, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the Sgt. Pepper, well, this is 70s again, yeah. but the Sgt. Pepper movie came out the same year as Grease and yep. it was Robert Stigwood and it was like, let's take something from the past and modernize it. And it had all the elements, superstars in it and it just tanked. Boop. But Xanadu was also a, a, ta- a tanker. Um, when I've talked to Nigel, he says he's uh, bonded with John Farrar over um, that movie because they came around. The same time, and both were on like everybody. The Apple mm-hmm. and Zandu on everybody's year-end worst lists. Uh, Zandu, if I'm not mistaken, was nominated along with "Can't Stop the Music" at like the first annual uh, Razzies. What In an fact, honor! The Razzies were created for those movies because <laughs> they were so bad. This the guy who started them was like, "Let's have a." It was informal when it started, but Zandu we got to talk about because that soundtrack. Is beyond reproach.
0: It's really great. I mean, you've got, uh, it's almost 50 50 ELO and and Olivia, ELO and ONJ, as they say. um that's but, a super group J. right but the, the, but the movie is it a bad movie um that's a
1: loaded question john I mean, is it a good movie? No. no. But is it is it an enjoyable? Bad? Is it an enjoyable movie? Hell yeah. yeah, hell yeah, it is. Um, but the soundtrack, whether you know, at, for also, I do want to point out that it's a dated movie because of the for many reasons. No, but yeah. one of the reasons this is a dated movie is a guy apparently had a job back then where his only job was to paint billboards of vinyl album covers. <laughs> that's a career that's that definitely
0: got phased out. <laughs> he, you know, he, that's what you were trained he in. Was you're the screwed, Tower Sunset guy? <laughs> that was his job. Yeah, yeah it was his just gig.
1: painting. <laughs> album covers. Of billboards. Anyway, um, it's an enjoyable movie for a lot of reasons. First of all, I don't think uh, we're burying the lead here. I mean, Gene Friggin Kelly is in it. Right. Like, as far as movie musicals of any decade mm-hmm. go, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, what a career high in a career of highs for uh, Libby john She got to dance with him. Right. Second of all, there's roller skating in it. Lots of rollers. Not roller mo- boogie. Can't really go wrong with all roller right. skating. Um, the Tubes are in it. I have one note
0: for Xanadu. <laughs> the Tubes dancing. We're
1: And aren't they like warring with gene like a yes. big band with like gene kelly's band or something you, you, like you, it's a cross-generational right like, you, sharks versus jet like the, the vision of xanadu what will
0: xanadu's theme uh, at this club be and gene kelly's character is like it's gonna be this nice classy band with olivia newton john uh singing but this faux andrew sisters fronting the band singing the uh 40s themed uh, dancing and then um uh, You have the guy, the main uh, male character whose name I'm blanking on, but what a dim bulb. Uh, he's like, no, it's got to be new wave. He wasn't and wrong. He wasn't wrong. He wasn't dim. And uh, I think he was a little dim.
1: <laughs> if he wanted to have new wave in his club in 1980, he had his finger on the pulse.
0: There are many other things in the movie that point to him being dim. But OK, okay he may, we'll give him this one.
1: Yeah, he was he's marketing savvy was right. on
0: point. And the tubes are in their orange jumpsuits, I think, like fluorescent orange jumpsuits. And, Seems and about right there. The over the top dancers like getting wrapped up in the keyboard cave and uh the, the one uh, female dancer is kind of writhing on the synthesizer bank uh it's just like whoa uh, this is this is what porn used to be for, for people <laughs> when you couldn't like re- easily access porn back in the day a simpler time you watched asana do in the theater and you, you know. i'm
1: embarrassed to say i can't remember this but who won that fight
0: Did the two they merge oh, okay remember they say slowly peace. merge and it becomes like this uh this early proto mashup Of both songs It's great
1: Once again, predicting the future, but also once again, proving my point that our, our differences can be settled via musical wars, not
0: actual wars. That seems to be a theme, especially uh, if you want to go on to Footloose.
1: Well, before we talk about Footloose, though, I really want to quickly talk about the whole idea of a movie sort of showing two generations at odds with each other. Have you seen One Trick Pony, the Paul Simon movie? I've
0: never seen it. No.
1: OK. It's interesting because this is how I was introduced to the B-52s. So, oh, the, yeah, they're in it. This movie's terrible, by the way. Yeah. Don't watch it, okay. people. Just listen to us talk about it instead. Uh, so Paul, Paul Simon plays a guy. I'll do it real quick. He had one hit in the Vietnam era. It was a song called Soft Parachutes, and it was about it was an anti-war song. <laughs> Hold on, let me laugh at that for a second. <laughs> Soft parachutes, yeah. go on, <laughs> something like that. So he, uh, he sort of, he's a one hit wonder now, but he's sort of still you know this is like the early 80s and he's still like working off of this one song and he's doing a tour and mm-hmm. there's a scene early in the movie i believe this movie came out in 1980 or 1981 mm-hmm. where he uh is in a club and he hears the he sees the b-52s and they're kind of representing the new guard and they're in full on b-52s world they're like their their new wave style and he's like what the hell is this yeah. this is what the kids are into and i saw this movie on cable and i was like yeah, this makes a real good point that he is obsolete and lame and this is the future. The B-52s right. playing so exciting live clubs, club scene. So anyway, that wasn't a good cross generational example.
0: His character doesn't learn from this. His character is, digs his heels in I and says. I don't remember yeah, what happened uh, after that,
1: because the high point of that movie, which happens in the first 20 minutes, is the B-52s perform.
0: What are they singing? Rock Lobster? Do you remember? I believe
1: so. Oh, of course. They it are. was a long time ago, but yeah. it's really good. It's the only reason I see that movie, to awesome. be honest. So, as you mentioned,
0: Footloose. Yes. The War on Dance.
1: It was a tough time in the 80s. All these kids wanted to do was dance. They wanted to be dancing and leaping before the Lord. The Bible decreed (laughs) itself. Yeah, you're right. It's in the Bible. So it's it's interesting you bring up Footloose because there was a time in the early to mid 80s, around 84, where everybody, as you mentioned in 1978, everyone wanted to have the next Grease mm-hmm. because Grease had been so successful. Well, in 1984, everybody wanted to do dance movies because um, I would say Flash Dance was the one that opened the door, but there were also a lot of like Breakin' and right. let's not forget Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, Shab- Fresh Shabadoo. Crush Groove, all these dancing movies. And the Flashdance movie was a big movie for me. That's what made all the little girls want to take dance lessons. Right. So then I think, and I do want to talk about Flashdance, but we'll stay on Footloose. I, did someone basically decide, like, we need Flashdance, but with dudes? Yeah. Like a dancing dude. So let's get Kevin Bacon to, like... Go crazy in a barn. Yeah. That was
0: a good dance sequence. Was that him? Uh, no. It wasn't Kevin. No. In. Remember, he's doing like gymnastics and everything on like a parallel barn? <laughs> <Yeah>. And
1: And <laughs> wasn't Jennifer Beals in Flashdance no, either?
0: No, no. It's Although, like finding
1: out Santa ain't real.
0: Yeah. Uh, the best, I don't know if you've ever seen this uh, old SCTV episode where um, <laughs> uh, Andrea Martin is Jennifer Beals is on the Sammy Mauvin show. Please go on YouTube and watch this. It's, okay hysterical. Uh, But yeah, Footloose was uh, really okay. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, and why aren't you if you're not? um, They
1: certainly will be after listening to us talk about the uh, Apple for 20 minutes. I know, right? More
0: goodness to come. You know, I was brought up in a Southern Baptist home and this movie was like Every Sunday morning for me.
1: Were you forbidden from dancing? Oh,
0: not dancing. It was rock music in particular. Really? No rock music. No. See what happens and when you don't let kids it, exactly. uh, do what they want. Look, they end up Look, like John Hughes. They end up uh, as an executive at a mu- mu- music label. Um, so <laughs> could be worse. Yeah. Happy ending. Um, yeah. So when you see John Lithgow's spittle uh, <laughs> sermons about the evils of dance, I was like, oh, I'm. I think I'm being triggered right now. <laughs> Uh, because <laughs> I don't even think, oh, this is, I, I just had like a super flashback to my youth. This is a 100% true story. My little sister rented the VHS of Footloose. Is it
1: contraband in your
0: home? No, they were watching it in the living room and my stepdad pulled it out of the VCR and was going to throw it in the fireplace until my mom stopped him and told him it was going to cost us seventy nine ninety eight to replace that VHS from the rental place.
1: That movie was, a, if I'm not mistaken, a solid PG rating. Uh,
0: it wasn't that. Flashdance was, was R. They're making religion look like they're a bunch of crazy people <laughs> being spoken by a crazy person ready to throw a VHS throw tape into a, a fireplace. So, <laughs> yeah, not, it's a bit extreme. This is not my therapy session, but I'm just telling you... <laughs> When I see this movie, I, you know, hand to God, you know, uh, I'm like, wow, this was like real life for people in mid-America. Did in- you have
1: tractor races?
0: No, not races. Two Bonnie Tyler songs? No, but OK, let's talk about the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the 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 big I'm going to teach you my friend how to dance thing right? Was that, let's hear it for the boy. Let's hear it for the boy. That
1: was a a fun vignette. That was a (laughs) vignette where someone like they basically condense what I guess is supposed to be weeks of dancing. There were always vignettes in eighties movies. It was either learning to dance or going shopping and getting a makeover. this was like Chris Penn's makeover, I
0: guess. Ignorant at the time, but I look back now Two men in an abandoned barn (laughs) listening to Denise Williams. And I'm going to teach you how to dance is the beginning of every gay porno. That I've ever rented or bought. You know, I'm just uh, like, who wrote this
1: movie? I never thought about that way. You know, Blake Shelton <laughs> covered Footloose. The, the oh for the there was a remake of Footloose. Oh what do you not the know the song or the movie? The movie I believe there I, was wasn't there. Yeah, it was not as good as the original. I'm oh, sorry. Oh my Kevin god. Kevin Bacon was a good hero. I'm, I'm sad to know he didn't do his own dancing. But as as you said, the soundtrack was good. Kenny Loggins was everywhere. We'll be talking yeah. about Kenny Loggins. Yeah. You know, Caddyshack, Wait, Top Gun. He was the soundtrack. He god. was the guy yeah. in the '80s. Denise Williams and the Bonnie Tyler song. A lot of people I think think of when they think of the '80s. Obviously, I mean, we know that Bonnie Tyler wasn't a one hit wonder, but I think right. a lot of people maybe think of her as one because totally eclipse. right. eclipsed everything else she did. Right. But holding out for a hero, that was a good that was a good power ballad.
0: It was a good uh, it. it, That's one of those songs like I melt With You, which, you know, has become a classic. People do it in every karaoke bar or whatever. Mm -hmm. And but I if I'd have to look it up, I'm not I'm, I'm stumbling here. I only think it got in like in the mid thirties Really, on the chart. It wasn't a huge chart hit back in the Interesting. day. It kind of like struggled a little bit, but it's, you know, it, it was on MTV every other second. Mm-hmm. So in, you know, in our eyes, it was a much bigger hit than the radio and sales may have indicated.
1: Well, we should definitely talk about Flashdance as well, while we're talking yes. about Footloose because Flashdance to me, that was like an hour and a 90 minute MTV music video. Yeah. It was so completely uh, influence adrian line's direction was so completely influenced by what was going on on mtv which had uh, influenced how you know tv commercials looked and everything it was gritty looking it was like artsily directed it had all these movie music videos within a movie the you know Obviously, the thigh slapping. I'm doing like these (laughs) sound effects. I'm slapping my thighs as we speak. The maniac dance, all of the dance sequences, all of the uh, strip club sequences, the way it was, you know. But there's so many holes in this. First of all, uh, I know you are you probably don't frequent strip clubs where women dance.
0: Not really, no. If you
1: did, if that was something you were into, would you want to see someone in Harlequin clown makeup like... Dancing and not taking off any clothes. Right. Doing interpretive, like jazz hand dance.
0: <laughs> to flashing stories. So like Romeo
1: by Donna yeah. Summer. No, you want to see skin. Yeah. Um so I was like, Who are the men that are going to what looks like a kind of dive bar in I believe Philadelphia or Cleveland, well, somewhere Pittsburgh, like that? Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh, yeah, Pittsburgh yeah. that's yeah. where. She's a steelworker. You know. worker. She was a welder. First yeah. of all, like that actually takes like a lot of training. And she was right. like 18 years. Okay, here, can I just real quickly rattle off all the things that are wrong with the movie before I get to what's right? Please. Okay. You got to suspend a lot of disbelief, like I said, to think that working class dudes who go to a dive bar where they serve burger and fries and have chicks dance for money would want to see Jennifer Beals covered up wearing, you know, doing like new wave dancing as opposed to like, you know, just. Full on like lap dance, pole dance, the Pittsburgh, standard
0: fair. Pittsburgh is the home of the Andy Warhol Museum. OK. <laughs> so all right. Maybe a different. That didn't gig. look like they
1: had an overlap in clientele. <laughs> okay. Second of all, she's 18 and she's a welder. And my understanding is welding takes actually quite a bit of training. Right. Third of all, at the end of the day, the movie's basically saying, want to get your have your dreams come true? Fuck your much older boss. <laughs> Pardon my French But that's how he get She gets her audition Is because he knows someone At the, uh, And no one There's no, no time Do I remember When that movie came out Did anyone think Like he's supposed to be Like in his 40s Right And he's her boss Right And she's much younger And that's fine But whatever It was the 80s It was a different <laughs>
0: time Pre-Me Too
1: There's so much about that movie with the dancing, the sequences, the soundtrack, Donna mm-hmm. Summer. It, everyone, of course, remembers the hit. And Giorgio Moroder is going to come up a lot in this conversation. Right. He did Top Gun stuff. He did the the Oscar-winning flash dance theme that Irene Cara, you know, right. who did fame. You know, all these things are connected. But, you know, um, Maniac by Michael Cimbello. And mm-hmm. I don't even know who did it, but that song
0: Manhunt. Oh, yeah. I'm going on a man. I don't hunt. know. We have to look that one up.
1: I'm going on a man. wasn't even like a one hit wonder she was a no hit wonder but it was just like such a um i mean i just think like so many people were chasing after that film it influenced fast fashion everybody was you Mm. know um slashing i still do it slashing off the necks of their sweatshirts leg warmers leg warmers everyone was where all these dance movies and these hit dance soundtracks were making people dress like they were going to ballet class when they were going to the 711 everyone's walking around in like <laughs> you know leotards and leg warmers and like a slashed warm up jacket and like slapping their thighs and they're not dancing at all. I tried, but there there were so many great dance movies and of course dance, great dance movies have to have great soundtracks.
0: Yeah. uh, Otherwise
1: you ain't going to dance.
0: And I think another, another running theme through all these uh, episodes is Casablanca records Mm -hmm. because that soundtrack was on Casablanca. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was like the last gasp of Casablanca
1: it was a good gas yeah right they mm-hmm. went out what a way to go out well you're also talking about we were you mentioned I'm out with you so we have to talk about Valley Girl Because oh, yeah. I am one. Yes. I was a Valley girl. And again, I love to sort of poke holes in, in the suspension of disbelief of these films. As someone who grew up in the Valley, I'm telling you that my dream was to have a punk rock new wave boyfriend who looked like Nicolas Cage as Randy back then, who would, um, you know, come over in his muscle car from over the hill, as they call it, <laughs> from uh, and then pick me up and whisk me back over the hill to the Sunset Strip to the Central, which later became the Room, to see the Plimsolls perform. <laughs> My dream was also to have Josie Cotton in a plastic skirt play at my prom. But anyway, the idea that there was, again, this sort of war that music eventually could heal, but this sort of war between different groups. But the idea that people in the Valley, my friends... Wouldn't think it was cool that I had a punk rock boyfriend from Hollywood, but right. would be turning up their nose. That is not the real, the realistic view of my childhood. I wanted that so badly. I always was trying to find rides over the hill to go to Hollywood. But that was a great Romeo and Juliet story. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this soundtrack, uh, again, um, I mentioned New Wave and punk and all that, is my understanding is this soundtrack, which didn't come out in the 80s, it didn't come out till much, much later, but they uh, it made a hit out of I Melt With You by Modern English, right. um, which, incidentally, in another podcast I will mention is the first video I ever saw on MTV. Oh, wow. But they didn't have huge hits or huge mm-hmm. artists on this. They didn't have as much of a budget. So they had people like Felony, yeah. the Paolas, the mm-hmm. Plimsolls, who actually performed, Josie Cotton, who performed in the film. Uh sparks i believe but like you know this wasn't you know this wasn't kenny loggins and irene carr at all
0: yeah now what what came first the soundtrack or those songs on k-rock
1: that's interesting. Now, K-Rock is, for those who yeah. listening who aren't from L.A., was a really important, it's still an important station in L.A., but um, Alternative Rock Station. But I don't think people who, you know, are younger or who moved to L.A. later understand just how weird that station was right. in the 80s. I don't know when you moved to L.A.,
0: John. Uh, 2000. OK. Yeah. But you're familiar with the lore. Oh, for sure. And and, and there were uh, consultants that uh, tried to take that format nationwide. And we had one glorious summer in 1983 in Cleveland, Ohio, where I grew up, where we had a K-Rock influenced radio station that just tanked in the ratings.
1: Well, yeah, because it was weird. It was playing like Devo deep cuts and stuff like that. Oh,
0: yeah, I was obsessed.
1: But I think the Valley Girl soundtrack, and I'm not sure when it came out. I don't think it came out like officially till the 90s. Mid
0: 90s. Thank you, Rhino.
1: Which is interesting. But like when I look at it, it's like it was, I think it was groundbreaking. You know, now we sort of take for granted these kind of hipster soundtracks like the Twilight soundtracks. Right. But I would say this soundtrack and I would say definitely all the John Hughes soundtracks, which we haven't even talked about yet, and the Lost Boy soundtrack were the ones that sort of came up with this idea that a soundtrack could have maybe, you know, the not the pop hits of the day. It's great, you know, Flashdance and Footloose, they had big pop stars right. and they had top 40 hits. But these kind of underground hipster soundtracks, I think. I think Valley Girl is one of the most important ones. And I'm not just saying that because I'm from the 818.
0: Yeah. And I wonder, was that uh, was that more of the directors, you know, like John Hughes or or I'm blanking on who directed Valley Girl? Was it Amy Heckerling? Amy Heckerling, right. Yeah. Yeah. Were they the ones picking the music as before the era of the music supervisor and.
1: That's interesting. I don't know about Amy Huckerlein and Valley Girl in terms of who picked the songs for the soundtrack. I know she's the one that reached out to Josie Cotton, though, mm-hmm. to have her in the prom scene. And again, that's the prom I wanted to have. I didn't have Josie Cotton doing Johnny, are you queer at oh, my
0: prom? Or on square pegs, having Devo play your bat mitzvah. Oh, my Muffy. God.
1: Yeah. That's enough yeah. reason to have to convert to right, Judaism. Exactly. I mean, Devo will play your bat mitzvah. Right. Sign me up. Um, but let's talk about the John Hughes stuff. He was. Given your name. And yeah,
0: all. I know. I, I I adore having that name, actually. Um, and it, it is my real name. I uh, love the fact that he was personally responsible for picking the music for his movies. And the most frustrating thing for me growing up then was Pretty in Pink. Um, no, sorry, Sixteen Candles. Sixteen Candles. Well, there's a lot of problematic yeah. stuff with that movie. A lot of 80s movies, but. I saw 16 Candles on my 16th birthday in 1984 because they had a nationwide promotion that if you turned 16, you went to the theater and you showed your I.D., you got a 16 Candles T-shirt and you got, I think, free admission into the movie. And I loved it so much. And there was no soundtrack to Sixteen Candles except for a little EP that had like six songs. There was no full soundtrack. Which had
1: the Stray Cats on it doing Sixteen Candles and And actually had one of the most popular Thompson Twins songs.
0: If you were here.
1: It's interesting. They never. I've talked to Tom Bailey about this, and uh, Thompson Twins never released that song as a single mm-hmm. because it actually doesn't have a chorus. They right. did not think it was structured in a single way, but because it soundtracked that final scene with Jake at the end of Sixteen Candles, it became like. The mo- I've seen Tom Tom Bailey perform in recent years and when mm-hmm. he does If You Were Here it gets the best response. People love that song.
0: And yeah, it's a, it's a bummer it wasn't released as a single because they had had, you know, Lies and uh, Love on Your Side, like a little minor skirmishes mm-hmm. with the top 40, but that would have probably been a top 10 hit.
1: When I interviewed Tom Bailey, he had never seen 16 Candles. This was recently. I'm like, stop what you're doing and go watch oh, it. Oh my god. But I, I've, in terms of soundtracks, mm-hmm. I like the pretty and pink one best. I do yes. as again, again, saying. thing Things I think are problematic about movies. A lot of people get upset about the fact with that movie that Ducky and um, Sam don't get together. Is it Sam? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Claire is from. No, Sam's 16 Candles.
1: What was she uh, in? Andy. Andy.
0: Yeah. It, okay. You, so Molly you...
1: Ringwald was Sam in 16 candles, right. Claire in Breakfast Club and Andy in um, Pretty and Pink. Right. So a lot of people want Andy and Ducky to get together. And apparently they're still in the vault somewhere. A, um, you know, nope. an, an ending that's never, right. I'm surprised they really haven't released it just so people can yeah. see it. Apparently it tested poorly. I have talked to Molly Ringwald in an interview about this and she always thinks it's good they didn't get together. She believes Ducky is gay.
0: Ducky's gay, thousand percent. Sorry, John <laughs> okay. John Cryer. Sorry, I know you disagree.
1: But the thing that I found problematic about it is the simple, subtle message that John Hughes actually had in a lot of his... He often put into a lot of his films women getting makeovers to basically... to be more basic. Right. So Iona, who runs tracks the store where Andy works, she she's probably not that old, but she's an older woman. She's mm-hmm. probably supposed to be in her 30s, like 35, she's played by Annie Potts, and she's this crazy new wave chick. She mm-hmm. looks like she's in the flirts. She's got like this, you know, the hair she wears, like sort of, you know, the the suiting and the polka dots and the right. new wave stuff. And she's got Spike Liberty hair. And Owns she's her super...
0: own successful business. Business Let's not owner. That. But what message is she getting? Men, you know, men don't like her and it's time for her to grow up. And when Andy gets sent to the principal's office, what does he tell her? Andy, if you send signals to people that you don't want to belong, they'll make sure you're not.
1: Basically don't dress that way. Yeah. So Iona, at the end of it, she gets a makeover to look more like her Designing Woman era. (laughs) She's wearing like a sensible blazer and a mullet. And what does she get? A doctor that's dating her. She's grown up. And first of all, it's like, why is dating a doctor as opposed to like another like creative eccentric person? Right. The the desired goal. Also, I would have preferred if they had to... And I talked to Molly Ringwald about this and she said, yeah, when you see Iona's makeover... It's disappointing. I would have preferred it if they had the doctor. She got like the successful, you know, doctor boyfriend, but Mm -hmm. he liked her the way she was. Right. Like he liked the fact that his girlfriend looked like Cindy Lauper. Right. So, but soundtrack wise, I think this is, you know, uh, one of the best soundtracks of the 80s. It
0: it was uh, uh, sort of life changing for uh, me and all my friends because you had bands that were really underground on the fringe, especially in the Midwest, like Echo and the Bunnymen. New and Order. New Order. And all of a o- sudden- OMD, of course. OMD has their first big, you know, they had a top 40 hit with So in Love before that, but this was their first big hit.
1: I think the, the yeah. lay person, casual person who, maybe younger person who doesn't know much about OMD, this is the song they know. For, for
0: sure. And Echo and the Bunnymen, you know, people were like, what a strange name, but now they know Bring on the Dancing Horses. The big disappointment of the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. The re-recording of the title track? There's Well, okay. There's three disappointments. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just thought of two more. Warren's such a bummer. I'm like, and another <laughs> yeah. thing that sucked about this movie. The re-recording of Pretty in Pink yeah. by the Psychedelic furs, I prefer the original. The horns, far too slick. Keith Forsey, I think, production. Mm-hmm.
1: The, he was involved with a lot of the Hughes movies.
0: Wouldn't it be good by the Danny Hutton hitters, not... Nick not Kershaw. Nick Kershaw? Nope. I do not a remember this. Re-record. I've completely erased yes. this from my memory. And in excesses on the soundtrack. And what is it? A song called Do What You Do, which is a complete rewrite of What You, what you Need. Of,
1: not. Well, yeah. What's interesting, though, is the John Hughes movies were all the soundtracks were great. Of course, mm-hmm. Simple Minds, you know, even though they didn't write Don't You Forget About Me. Massive, massive hit, which, by the way, Molly Ringwald has covered as a jazz song. And that's why I was yeah. interviewing Molly. She did a jazz album. Oh, she covered great. that song. Uh, and of course, you know, the Wang Chung. A lot of people think of don't remember Wang Chung's Fire song. Fire in the Twilight. You always remember the dancing mm-hmm. from that. But. I, she obviously, obviously when I interviewed Molly, I talked a lot about the soundtracks and because she had just covered, uh, Don't You Forget About Me, which by the way, I believe Billy Idol was originally supposed to do. Yes. So she said that she and John used to make mixtapes for each other. Oh, wow. He would make mixtapes of music he thought she would like and vice versa because they, you know, she actually had an input Mm. into the soundtracks. You know, she was. She, unlike most actors who are usually like twenty-five playing a sixteen-year-old, yeah. she actually was the age she was playing. So he looked to her as kind of a muse of for the soundtracks, and she, on one of her mixtapes, put the original <laughs> "Pretty in Pink" by Psychedelic oh, Furs wow. on the tapes. The thing that kills me, though, is she told, I'm like, where are all these tapes? Where are all these cassette mixtapes that John Hughes made for you? She doesn't know where they are. Oh. She thinks they're, her sister threw them away. Wow. Or they're in a box, maybe in her sister's house. I'm like, are you even kidding me? Can you imagine having mixtapes by
0: the other John Hughes? Oh, my God. So Holy grail stuff.
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. This uh, Also, I do want to mention that some kind of wonderful mm-hmm. uh, not only had the apartments on it, Right. Which was def- the band from uh, Australia or New Zealand. I can't remember. Somewhere mm-hmm. down there in that hemisphere. Right. But I do want to say just I feel that John Hughes, I don't have any intel on this. I just in my gut believe that John Hughes made that movie to correct the fact that he wanted Ducky and Andy to get together in yeah. Pretty in Pink. And he didn't get his way because it tested badly. So in some kind of wonderful he reversed it gender wise, Gender swap. but not only was the the hero, the heroine of that movie, a drummer, which is pretty rad. Right. But at the end of the day, in that film, instead of the Eric Stoltz ending up with Leah Thompson, the popular girl, mm-hmm. the two BFFs do get together and hook up at the end. So yeah. I feel like the universe was righted by that.
0: And it gave us flesh for Lulu. Which I love that record, Long Live the New Flash. God, I loved them so much. I Go Crazy was from that film. I Go Crazy. Postcards from Paradise. Yeah, that was a great record. Yeah, poor flesh for Lulu.
1: Yeah, because the lead singer recently passed. No. Have you never got they never really got their due. They never got their due. Well, but John Hughes, you know, he like you say, he didn't always, you know, go with the obvious choices
0: and no, and he was smart because he surrounded himself with young kids uh for research or whatever. Even back when he was writing for National Lampoon, he would when he was writing about a subject, he would do a lot of research Mm -hmm. with the right people. And the casting was so on point because they, you know, if those movies were made today, they'd find like the most beautiful people. He found people that had a snaggle tooth or, you know, kind of yep. funky look or and they look like high school kids. And
1: I do want to say though, in in The Breakfast Club, that again, that conceit that you have to sort of make yourself over. Yeah. I, I was not, I, I, if there was anything that broke my heart in cinematic history more than Iona turning into a sensible middle-aged woman, it was Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club for, for why would she even want to date Emilio Estevez, the football player anyway? Right. But her prize for scrubbing off her black eye makeup and putting <laughs> a bow on her head. Oh, now she's pretty. Now the popular guy wants her. So John Hughes was problematic in that way. I love him, but he did sometimes buy into some stereotypes with about youth culture that I did not no doubt.
0: And if it makes you feel any better, just remember, she may have a bow in her hair, but she still has really severe dandruff. <laughs> So there's no fixing that in the detention room.
1: <laughs> she kept a little bit of her, yeah, of she, her
0: crack. Exactly. There's a little bit inside. So have you ever seen the movie starstruck? Do you I know don't this know is? of the movie starstruck. It's a movie from the early eighties from Australia. And, uh, I can't remember who it stars, but the director went on to direct some other famous Australian movie. Uh, But it's a musical about this girl who wants to be a singer and her little brother who ends up being her manager. And it's very new wave. And it's the reason why I bring it up. It's got a fantastic soundtrack. I don't think it's ever been released on. Who's on it? Anyone of note? No one of note, except for maybe you might know a band called The Swingers, Nope, uh, stumped me. The, it's early MTV light rotation hit. Uh one good reason is the name of the song. They had another song called "Counting the Beat" that's on there as well, and it was. Uh, the Finn's other brother, you know the uh, the Finn brothers from Split Ends. They had yet another brother who wasn't in who Split was, was not in Split Ends, but was Interesting. in Swingers. So it,
1: prolific family,
0: Starstruck. If you've never seen it, it's on DVD. I think you can get it for ten bucks on Amazon or something like that. Money well spent. It's a great. A fun movie, a very well done. I think it was too well done for America, if that's a snobby thing to say.
1: You know what I love about this podcast, John, is of all the soundtracks that have come out in the 80s, we haven't mentioned Purple Rain. No. (laughs) We haven't mentioned, but we're like, let's talk about Starstruck and the Apple.
0: (laughs) How how narrow casting. (laughs) We haven't talked about, you know, like
1: the huge number of like actually successful soundtracks. We should talk Uh, about Purple Rain. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Of course, iconic. There's no disputing it. Makes me angry because of the songs, because of the songs that are not on it. That Apollonia, be on it. Six, right. Morris Day and yeah. the Time.
1: It was basically a Prince album. Right, And right. a great one
0: at that, of course. It, you know, make it a proper soundtrack, uh, you know. Um, well,
1: I've talked to Morris Day about that and I'm like, how come, you know, your songs, which were hits, The mm-hmm. Bird, were not on the Purple Rain soundtrack? He's like, that's an interesting question, Lindsay. <laughs> He's like, I never got the answer, you know. You know, obviously him and uh, Prince, you know, although they were friends, they also were friends enemies and right. sometimes downright enemies. Right. And yeah, he, Prince didn't want it to be a soundtrack. He wanted it to basically be kind of like Parade with Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah. It's like a movie no one needs to see. Inspired by. Yeah, inspired yeah, by, guess. which is actually a trend now. Which now right. there's a million inspired bys. But um, I'm inspired. I need to. You mentioned Greece. Yes. Can I just take a moment to talk about Greece 2, John? Please.
0: I think we should take more than a moment because okay. I'm a cool, cool writer. <gasps> so you're Greece Two fan? <laughs> I am a Greece Two gonna
1: fan. I'm going to say something. I've said it on the record before. I don't mind. Come at. Don't at me, or actually go at me. I don't care. Greece Two is better than Greece. There, I said it. Oh, well, okay. I'm, this is a hill I'm going to die on. I I'm going to bowl tonight. <laughs> OK, well, here's can I talk about all the reasons why I don't like Greece and prefer Greece to
0: uh, conceptually Conceptually. OK, go for it
1: again. I'm going to get on like my little feminist soapbox for a minute. Do it. I loved Greece as a child. I saw it when I was really young. But when I later saw it as a as an adult, I'm like, I don't know if I feel like I like again, the idea a woman has to change herself for a man at the very end of it. Sandy gives up everything. Okay. Let me just start right. off at the beginning.
0: sexualized
1: This guy, Danny Zuko, yeah. treats her like shit for right. the whole movie. The minute she arrives, you know, he doesn't think she at, at Rydell High, he doesn't think she's cool enough for his friends. So when she shows up and surprises him at the pep rally or whatever right. it is, he pretends like he barely knows her and he's a dick to her. And then when, you know, and then he, um, uh, is addicted to her at the malt malt shop. Mm-hmm. You know, he's embarrassed that she's a goody two-shoes, basically. He cares much more about what the T-birds think. Right. Then he abandons her at the prom to dance with his ex-girlfriend, who's a better dancer, so he can win some sort of trophy. Mm-hmm. Then he pretty much tries to date rape her at the drive-in. Right. Well, which was a subtext that flew over my head at the time. Right. But the, we're supposed to the whole time be rooting for them to get together. Right. Okay. And at the end, the only way she gets with him is to perm her hair and wear clothes that did not exist in the 50s. It's basically like a 70s woman in spandex. Right. Cor- candies, cork heel stilettos and stuff. Right. But she basically takes up smoking. Maybe it's better if she was dead this whole time.
0: Maybe. Because this is. It also translated to real life because then Olivia becomes totally hot.
1: <laughs> that is true. There was. I, I've always thought that the the Sandy metamorphosis at the end of Greece maybe was uh, inspired right. her later looks in the 80s. But Danny didn't have no future. She should no. stay with
0: that valedictorian. And Not only that. OK. What's she going to do with her life? She becomes what Danny wants. Mm-hmm. Hypersexualized, ready to put out, basically. Smoking, bad and habits. What's Stockard Channing's character's name? Rizzo. Rizzo, Rizzo thank you. Jeez. You should be very Brain shamed you didn't there. know that. Yeah. Rizzo, You're who fired. does everything that they want, is ridiculed and shamed for. There are
1: worse things she could do. Exactly. But anyway, that's a movie from 78. So we're moving now into the 80s. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this, fun fact, but Danny and Sandy were supposed to be in Greece too. Danny and Sandy were supposed to originally own the auto shop, the mechanic, where Stephanie, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, super hot Michelle Pfeiffer, hottest she's ever been, right. is supposed to be the mechanic. So they decide not to do it. They weren't into it. You know, this movie kind of ruined Alan Carr's career. But the idea that that was all Sandy could aspire to if she married Danny was to like co-own an auto shop yeah with Danny you when know. she and work at it when you know she was a great student and she was dating like guys who were valutorians and letterman sweater wear. So anyway, they ended up not being part of the movie, but they gender flipped the whole thing with Grease too. Mm-hmm. Stephanie is the one who's in control, in charge. She, I love, she has so many good lines. Like when Michael's like, I want to know if you are free tomorrow after school. And she goes, yeah, I'm free every day. It's in the constitution. And she's like, <laughs> I kiss who I want, when I want, no one can tell me who I can date.
0: With Helen in the
1: And also, there are some suspensions of disbelief in this. First of all, the main one, that Michael Carrington wouldn't be the most popular guy in school the minute he got off the yellow right, bus. Right, exactly. Super friggin' hot. Right, right. British accent. Mm-hmm. Smart. I mean, he would have literally been the most popular guy in school, but he wants Stephanie. But he's the one that changes for her. hmm and at the end of the day, he uh, improves him, his standing. He doesn't like start sucking in school, or whatever. Right. But he becomes this hot motorcycle guy. She, he likes her the way she is. Mm-hmm. She's a tough, independent chick. She's not going to just date a T-bird. She's not going to date Adrian Zemed just because that's how like the school rules are. Right. So in general, I feel it's a more feminist film. And but since this is a music podcast, the soundtrack of this. Movie slapped. It's so much better than Grease. Maybe it's because I've heard the Grease well, songs so a million times. I was
0: going to say, why did Grease 2 fail? Was it the storyline? Was it lack of star power? Or was it the soundtrack? Because some people do not like the soundtrack and they think that's why the movie did not do like well. Who doesn't
1: like Cool Rider? What's more iconic than. Bull tonight. <laughs> what's more, okay, what's more iconic, first of all, than Michelle Pfeiffer in skinny jeans? straddling a ladder saying she wants a cool rider. That's
0: I hot. think there's a little bit of coming around because those songs are now in karaoke books. Oh, I I've can, done, yeah, I've yeah, done Cool can, Rider and karaoke. Right. Wait,
1: the other ones are we're going to score tonight. Uh, score tonight. You keep, keep saying, saying Bolt tonight. tonight. That's it, the P, no, yeah, it's we're going to tonight. yeah, or, they're in the bowling alley when they sing yeah. it,
0: right? Is that why I'm saying There are tonight? so
1: many sexual songs yeah. in Greece too. We're going to score tonight, which bowling is a metaphor for sex. thank you. Please let's not forget with Tab Hunter, reproduction. Where Mm -hmm. does the pollen go? Make my (laughs) stamen go berserk. (laughs) All these like biological. I'm like,
0: enjoying your singing. Oh, way. I watch this movie like
1: <laughs> a couple times a month. I've seen it like right. midnight screenings of it. Um, there's also Let's Do It for Our Country, yeah, which exactly. is actually problematic because like basically someone's pretending there was a nuclear war outside. So he, his girlfriend will go all the way and it takes <laughs> place in an air raid shelter. But Let's Do It for Our Country. Every song is like these are like sexed up teens. It's the beginning of the sixties, the sixties right. revolution, the fifty. You know, in in a in um Greece one, you know, Sandy doesn't want to put out. She's Sandra D. Right, and Rizzo is shamed for being a bad girl, but in. Grease 2, the bad girls are the heroes and Mm -hmm. everyone aspires to be like him. The fashion's on point too, little pencil skirts, Lauren left in a sweater, Lauren left underused in the movie, by the way. So I fully support Grease 2. I don't know why it wasn't more successful. I would only say, I do think the soundtrack is great. I mean, back to school again is by the, the four Mm -hmm. tops are on this soundtrack, the actual four tops. I just think maybe they shouldn't have called it Grease 2. It's right. kind of like The Monkeys and The New Monkeys. Right. They should have called kind of, it something else.
0: Right. Maybe Rydell or something. Yeah.
1: But yeah. Um, good cast. Obviously, Michelle Pfeiffer's career went from strength to strength after it. She doesn't... Yeah. I don't think she likes this movie. I know Olivia Newton-John doesn't like it. Right. But Cool Rider, I think, of from both movies combined is absolutely... It's it's right up there it's with there. You, the one that I want. Yeah.
0: It's great. Time has been kind to Grease too.
1: <laughs> I think, you know, I like to... Champion the movies that people tend to forget about, like The Apple and Grease, too. There's also some other, um, I think we should talk about more musical movies that like starred artists or had soundtracks that were entirely by one artist. Let's hear it. Roll the Ramones, Rock and Roll High School.
0: Yeah, uh, Roger Corman.
1: Did he direct that? He
0: produced it, I think. It was was Roger Corman produced at least. Interesting. Uh, And, you know, historically tangled up in lots of litigation, but now the soundtrack is out on
1: Rhino what's interesting is that from my I've always assumed that movie was made for the Ramones like the inspired because I can't imagine any other band being in that film and of course you know Rock and Roll High School is their song But apparently it was written without them in mind and the original band that and this was also would have been good. And if someone still wants to make this movie, it's fine (laughs) with me. But originally it was supposed to star Cheap Trick really yeah wow they that's the first, cool and i kind of could see that because you know they had a heartthrob in the band but mm-hmm. they also had a couple of goofy characters yeah. in the band i'm sure rick nielsen would have been really hilarious in it right. but yeah it was written and the idea was it was going to you know Oh wow it could have been that uh riff riff randall was instead of being obsessed <laughs> with the Ramones, she could have been obsessed with cheap trick
0: wow and not a bad thing to be obsessed with at that time period. if someone wants yeah. to
1: make rock and roll high school 2 right starring Cheap trick <laughs> i'd be completely okay with it although there was actually i'd don't know if you know there was a rock and roll high school too no it's called rock and roll F- high school forever, forever. yes I did and it know starred cory um oh, which thing. but as i mentioned he was in along with the other Corey. and rest his rest in peace cory Haim. uh he was in the lost boys we yeah. haven't talked about that soundtrack lost boys
0: um again uh um, people echoing, are strange echoing the bunny men rear their heads once more on the soundtrack is it
1: is it lame for me to say that i not only heard People Are strange by Echo before I heard the Doors version, uh, but I I'm prefer
0: their version. On both points, I am with you 100%. Uh, the Lost Boys soundtrack, uh, In Excess, Jimmy Barnes, Good Times is on that, right? It sounds about right. Yeah, that's a good and song. And Roger Daltrey yeah. actually
1: doing his own version of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Oh, that's interesting. By Elton John. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Prince a lot, but there are other artists where they- Solely did the soundtrack from beginning to end. Have you ever heard the 1984 soundtrack by um, Derry Rhythmics?
0: Oh my God. Okay. Again, another running theme through these podcasts my love of the cutout bin. <laughs> <laughs> the 1984 soundtrack was uh, clogging cutout bins across the country. And I like. That's liked, a shame. Yeah, I it's know. just
1: travesty. It was right there next to the Grease 2 soundtrack.
0: Well, what if I told you that was the first Eurythmics album I ever owned? Not a bad entry point. Uh, I had all the singles, 45s, but I never really got over that hump and bought Sweet Dreams or bought Touch. And you know, there's a nineteen eighty four soundtrack sitting in the cutout bin for a dollar ninety nine or so and I'm like, Oh, I like that song Sex Crime, so I buy it. That's my it. favorite rhythmic it's song so by the good. way. At first, I'm like really bummed by the soundtrack. I'm like, oh, this isn't very good at all. But then I start listening to Julia and the other things on there, uh, plus good, double plus good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's like really- It's your turn to sing. Yeah, inventive stuff. Remember MTV was all over the sex crime video. I even think it was like an MTV sneak preview Mm -hmm. exclusive. So it was like on five times a day and no sex radio crack oh, crack <laughs>
1: that's a that song's yeah. so as a banger
0: no radio station would touch it i think it only peaked at like number do you think 84 it's of the titles oh, for sex sure crime, for sure especially which in some the south yeah
1: i do remember when that was on mtv and i was like yeah. into it my my either my mom or my sister seen it and being like sex crime and i'm like no this isn't like a pro <laughs> it's rape about rape. song no it's like i'm well, like, it's 1984 <laughs> right. i had to read it in yeah, school don't exactly.
0: you know this book yeah and but it, they had so much capital at MTV at that time that not only did they play the crap out of that video, Julia has a music video. And Does they, it? Yeah, that's how I actually thought I need to buy this record because I like that really strange, ethereal tune. dude And, you know, it's like a six minute song and, and to see that on MTV, I'm like, what? Uh, and uh, th- I love that soundtrack. Good place yeah. in my heart and for a, that soundtrack. A perfect
1: place, a perfect band for them. Because as I mentioned, there are other, um, books or movies that predict the future and it, it seems very off. Like the Apple was very often yeah. predicting what 1994 was going to be. But like, you know, your rhythmic sounded like, what the future, right. what 1984 should sound like. They were so perfect for that yeah. soundtrack. But since we're talking about artists that completely did a soundtrack from, you know, all the way through. And again, a soundtrack that I I don't think did that well. What are your thoughts on Queen's um, soundtrack for Flash Gordon?
0: I've never heard Flesh, the whole thing, but uh... that is the most iconic <laughs> theme song because... Uh, it, It's so weird. (laughs) They got the dialogue snippets happening. My favorite part is Gordon's alive, alive, (laughs) alive. alive." Ah. alive. Ah. And another one where there's a band that's coming off a mega album, The Game. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Another One Bites the Dust is a huge hit. Crazy little thing called Love. Even Play the Game is a hit here. And they're like, OK, here's Flash. Do what you want. Right. Blanc. Exactly. Well, that movie
1: was a total box office oh, bomb. But
0: I saw it three times in the theater. Well, I think we gave people plenty to explore.
1: Absolutely. Go by the Apple. So, OK, so this is your this is your homework assignment okay. for your binge watching session after this. Grease 2. Yep. The Apple for sure starstruck
0: starstruck everyone please
1: and times square yes all the cinematic hits
0: times square i have to i have to go see times square i haven't seen times square yet
1: times square i just want to say who quickly was on it uh you mentioned uh, the cure but also talking heads patti smith and gary newman so mm. there you go Worth that's it. your homework assignment guys binge, awesome. binge watching uh and then you can have some more bins listening and come back So, tell us your favorite musical movie moments of the 80s at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram or at totally80s.com slash podcast. I'm Lindsay Parker, and I was joined today by the other John Hughes. Thank you. It was great. It's fun to be here.
0: This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't
1: forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally 80s, and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side.